0: It's well known that Michael Man's Heat is an expanded remake of his own 1989 TV movie, L.A. Takedown. So the temptation here might be to examine the differences between them, which would more than likely necessitate comparing the performances of Scott Plank and Alex MacArthur with Al Pacino and Robert De Niro.
1: Seven years in McNeil. Yeah, McNeil's no country club. You looking to become a penologist? You looking to go back? I chased down crews, the guys are just looking to go back. You must have worked some pretty bad off crews. I worked all kinds. You see you me doing through seeker liquor still hold up sort of born to lose tattoo on my chest. No, I do not. Right. I am never going back.
0: Or we could mention Christopher Nolan, who has never made any secret of his having been more than inspired by Man's picture when he went to make The Dark Knight. But I know the truth. There's no
1: going back. You've changed things. Forever. And why do you want to kill me? (laughs) I I don't want to kill you? What would I do without you? Go back to ripping off mob dealers? No, no.
0: No. No, you. You complete me. But both those angles have been done already. So let's look somewhere else for just some of the reasons why Michael Mann's spoiling crime saga is an American classic. The taxi driver ends with Robert De Niro's Travis Bickle driving into the Manhattan night, bearing no traces of the psychosis that set him on a near-suicidal killing spree at the film's climax. But then a quick glance in the rearview mirror, and it is clear the syndrome was back. Something similar but very different happens very late on in Heat. Throughout Heat's near three hour running time, De Niro's Neil Macaulay has repeatedly declared to those around him.
1: Remember Jimmy McIlwain on the yard used to say, you want to be making moves on the street, have no attachments, allow nothing to be in your life that you cannot walk out on in 30 seconds flat if you spot the heat around the corner.
0: Yet, barely 60 seconds after his associate Nate, played by John Voight, has informed him that his getaway is secure. Macaulay suddenly swerves the car onto a path of vengeance he just can't resist.
1: Take care
0: of it is just the final instance of an irony that runs so consistently through the film, it aggregates to being the underlying theme. Whether it be by death, mutual decision, or even commitment, every relationship ends in isolation. Macaulay may have declared his need for Edie, played by Emmy Brenneman, but he is so attached to vengeance he cannot walk away from it in 30 seconds flat. As for Michael Chirito, played by Tom Sizemore, he's less committed to his wife and children than he is to the action. Likewise, Donald Breeden, played by Dennis Haysbert. Just out of prison and trying to go straight, he finds he is not so committed to his partner, Lillian, played by Kim Staunton, that he cannot walk away from her when presented with a new opportunity.
1: What I am doing is I'm looking for a driver when handless scanners in a radio, right now, today. You remember the drill? Yeah, man, sure. Is it cool? Oh, man, now you know I'm cool. One answer, yes or no, right now.
0: Macaulay made that offer because his regular driver Danny, played by Danny Trejo, stepped back. Later, Danny is so badly beaten, he begs Macaulay to kill him because he knows his wife Anna is already dead. Which means that if out of all those relationships, the one that does manage to avoid death is one that still ends up in isolation. For all her complaints about her gambling addicted husband Chris, played by Val Kilmer, Charlene Scheherlis, played by Ashley Judd, loves him so much, she signals to him that the police have set a trap even though doing so could result in her being imprisoned.
1: See, if you don't betray Chris, you victimize Dominic. Because he becomes an orphan when you go to prison as an accessory because you've got no living parents to take it. So he ends up state-raised in foster homes, juvenile facilities. Then he steals a car. Then he winds up in gladiator academies like Chino and Tracy. Fucked for life.
0: Isolation, not violence, is the biggest threat in Heat. It stalks a city so indiscriminately picking off not just criminals and law enforcement officials, it also targets innocent family members. Vincent Hanna, played by Al Pacino, knows that his marriage to Justine, played by Diane Venora, is long beyond repair. As adults, they can accept it. But for Justine's teenage daughter Lauren, played by Natalie Portman, the isolation is so crushing she seeks to end her own life.
1: (coughs) to herself, look what she did, look what she did to herself.
0: (laughs) In order for a film to truly work, audiences need to hear the pictures and see the sounds. No better example of which comes in that same moment Macaulay decides to change direction and pursue vengeance. Given that Macaulay is about to upend his very own mantra, it is only appropriate that in delivering that moment, Mann departs from the visual and sonic technique he is deployed throughout the rest of the film. Until then, Mann and his crew had gone for a comparatively realistic style. Just consider the meticulous, decade-long research Mann did in preparing the script. Then the painstaking surveillance undertaken by Hannah's unit on Macaulay's crew. As well as the ear-shattering authenticity of the post house shootout that roars across the streets of Bunker Hill. But that realistic approach is overtaken by a sudden but also perfectly judged shift into expressionism which emerges both in the images and on the soundtrack cinematographer dante spinotti used a series of super high-speed lenses to capture the sprawling scale of the story and whether the action was capturing the armed truck heist in the early morning on Venice Boulevard, the broad daylight robbery on South Flower Street, at dusk overlooking the ocean in Malibu, or late at night in remote industrial facilities by the LA River, in capturing the drama, Mann and Spinotti made a decision to avoid flaring the lens. That is, until the moment Macaulay makes the call to Nate to check on his getaway plan.
1: Yeah. It's me. Plane's in the air now. We'll be right on time. On the driver's end, I still can't find nobody, so that's in the trust. One other thing. You asked, so I gotta tell you. The guy you wanted checked into the hotel marquee under Jameson, if you still give a shit. Which I figured you wouldn't. You figure right. So, so long, brother. You take it easy. You're home free. Take it easy.
0: For decades, lens flare was considered a flaw, a sure sign of a cinematographer's technical incompetence. But in the mid-1960s, a new opinion began to emerge, which allowed the Lux phenomenon to express an idea, a feeling, a perception. Amongst the first cinematographers to use it was Conrad Hall, whose background was in documentary, but who would go on to win three Academy Awards. Here is Hall in the 1992 documentary Visions of Light.
1: I feel particularly involved in helping make mistakes uh, acceptable uh, to studio heads and uh, and other people uh, and the audience even uh, by using them by by blatantly not not by mistakes or anything but by endeavor.
0: Assured that his escape is secured, that he is all but home free, Macaulay drives on to catch his plane. But Macaulay also knows that his former accomplice Wayne Grove, played by Kevin Gage is holed up in the Marquis Hotel near LAX. Suddenly, the headlights and the cars on the highway begin to bloom and radiate across the frame, expanding and contracting in mesmeric coronas resembling a solar eclipse. Macaulay's mind is now pulsating, throbbing, vacillating between walking away and seeking vengeance. The score, written by Elliot Goldenthal and the Cronus Quartet, floods onto the soundscape, and Macaulay's car slips silently into the tunnel. Now, the tunnel's lights soak the screen, as if reflecting the iridescent glow of algae in the waters of Fiji that Macaulay has already told Amy about.
1: In Fiji, they have these iridescent algae that come out once a year in the water. That's what it looks like out there. You been there? No, I'm going there someday. Oh, yeah.
0: Amy admits to being lonely. And just like Macaulay, she tries to compensate for that by obsessively focusing on work. She moved across the country to get away from it, and now fills her days and nights at work to avoid it. Work typifies so many of the characters in Mann's other films. Work not as a moral, but a defining act. You are what you do, and nothing more. Not all of the men in Mann's films experience isolation, but whether it be his first feature film, Thief, or his latter films such as Manhunter, The Insider, Ali, Collateral, Miami Vice and Public Enemies. They define themselves through work. But as for Isolation and Heat, that theme first emerged just as the first act closed, 21 minutes in, when Macaulay returned home. Macaulay places his gun down on the living room table and goes to the window. Bathed in a deep blue, Macaulay's house overlooks the ocean, and he looks out on the waves to reflect on what has just happened. The attempt to kill Wangro in the diner's parking lot was bungled. What he sees, hears and then feels is a lot more than he expected. It is an extremely potent image and one man has admitted was inspired by a 1967 painting by Canadian artist Alex Colville. Pacific shows a man leaning languidly against a window looking out at the ocean. Standing with his back to us, his attitude is so languid he is wearing only a pair of soft grey slacks. But positioned behind him in the foreground is a wooden table on which lies a handgun. Into the table itself are carved measurements typical of the garment industry. Colville's mother had been a dressmaker. But the inclusion of the gun brings a very different meaning. Mortality, time and its limitations. Here is Colville in 1967 speaking to CBC Television from his home in Sackville, New Brunswick, about the choices he made as an artist and how he made them.
1: I'm a person that never thinks of more than one thing at a time. And when I'm doing one thing, I'm thinking only of that thing. When I've finished with it, a part of my life is over. And the next part then has to start. And I never know what the next part will be. And I'll probably fix on one of these things then as an idea which will begin, you might say, to obsess me.
0: As has been copiously documented, Heat was inspired by the real-life case of Chicago law enforcement agent Chuck Adamson and his lengthy pursuit of career criminal Neil Macaulay. Mann first encountered Adamson back in the 1970s when he was prepping Thief, and without question, it was Mann's exhaustive research into that world that helped elevate Heat into the top ranks of the crime genre, the gangster picture and heist movie. It is all those genres, yet it has another, completely different film living and dying inside it. Here is Man in 2015, speaking with chief critic at Variety magazine Scott Foundas, about what makes his characters tick. Uh,
1: Neil Macaulay obviously was a real person. Some of them are compound characters. But it's, it's, it's in the aspirations and in finding out what uh, Neil Macaulay, for example, how he, how he evolved the attitudes that he has... IN THE PRESENT, of, he- the present OF HEAT, BUT THERE'S A WHOLE HISTORY BEHIND ALL OF THAT, what he, WHAT HE READ WHEN HE WAS IN PRISON AND TRYING TO FIGURE OUT WHY SHOULD HE NOT COMMIT SUICIDE OR WHY SHOULD HE JUST uh, z- NOT ZONE OUT AND WHAT'S HE GOING TO DO WHEN HE GETS OUT. AND THESE PEOPLE ask THEMSELVES QUESTIONS ABOUT like, WHAT IS TIME, HOW SHOULD I VIEW MY LIFE, WHAT'S AUTHENTIC, WHAT ARE THE RULES OF THE ROAD IF I GOT OUT AND tried TO DO SOMETHING. And um, so that's where a lot of it comes from. And then so, too, the, the, the predators, and Hannah's a predator. Um, he's alive when he's pursuing his prey. And, um, and what drives guys like that? And even though Hannah has a moral compass, he's not there to serve and protect. He really is, as, as Tom Sizemore says later in the film, the action is the juice.
0: While the first wave of Hollywood gangster pictures, the public enemy, Little Caesar and Scarface, upheld the law and ensured the criminals were brought to justice. Latter examples of the genre adopted different angles. Arthur Penn's Bonnie and Clyde simultaneously mythologized and demythologized the criminals. Francis Ford Coppola's Godfather trilogy absorbed Shakespearean themes of family and legacy. But Martin Scorsese has gradually developed a critique on materialism. Mean Streets, Goodfellas and Casino have each gone further up the mafia chain of command To expose the psychotic and near sociopathic obsession with accumulating wealth. And while not a gangster picture, the Wolf of Wall Street focused on criminality in corporate finance. As for Michael Mann, his canvas is existential. The commitment to, devotion for and obsession with work distances his characters from living their lives and from the world around them. But as far as Vincent Hanna is concerned, the focus on work is what keeps him alive.
1: Because I got a whole lot of my angst. I preserve it because I need it. It keeps me sharp, on the edge, where I gotta be. You don't live with me, you live among the remains of dead people.
0: Many filmmakers have addressed existential crises but not all have managed to complement the theme with a corresponding visual vocabulary. So for that, we must look to the likes of Michelangelo Antonioni's Laventura, Ingmar Bergman's Persona, and Seijin Suzuki's Tokyo Drifter, each of which used composition, lighting and space, and especially empty space, to convey the pressure, anxiety, and tension. All of those titles were released in the 1960s, the seminal time Man was studying at London Film School, But, without doubt, the one film from the 60s most central to Heat is Jean-Pierre Melville's Le Samurai. There, Alain Delon played a solitary hitman whose nearest companion was a canary whose agitation warned him the police were closing in. We are often told of the difference between a plot-driven film and a character-driven plot. And we have just as often read that drama is conflict. Well, for me, in the best dramas, character is conflict. All of Michael Mann's men are in deep conflict with themselves. But while I hold Mann's next picture, The Insider, to be his greatest achievement, there is no doubt that precious few films depict masculinity and conflict as intensely as this American masterpiece.